Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hashtag Clocked In with me, your host, Jordan Edwards. I'm thrilled to have you tune in as we dive into the dynamic world of productivity, success, and stories of incredible individuals who've mastered the art of getting things done. Whether you're commuting, hitting the gym, or just relaxing at home, this podcast is the go-to source for inspiration and actionable tips to level up your productivity game. I'm on a mission to unravel the secrets of those who seem to effortlessly manage their time and achieve their goals. So if you're ready to clock in and unlock your full potential, you're in the right place. We've got a lineup of amazing guests, industry experts, and thought leaders who will share their insights and strategies to help us crush your to-do list and make the most out of every moment. Get ready to get inspired, motivated, and equipped with the tools you need to supercharge your productivity. This is Hashtag Clocked In with Jordan Edwards. Let's dive in. What's up? It's Clocked In with Jordan Edwards here. Before starting the podcast, I want to give you a special gift an Edwards Consulting introduction coaching session. This is free of charge, and it's because you're listening to the podcast. I hope we were able to do the coaching session, and I look forward to it. Hey, what's going on here? I have a very special guest today. He's worked with some of the largest tech companies in the world and has created one of the most exclusive mastermind groups with business individuals. Founder and CEO of Board of Advisors, serial entrepreneur, Mike Calhoun. Welcome, Mike. Hey, Jordan. Very, uh, very nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me onto the show today. Uh, look forward to having a great conversation with you and just share a little bit of my story with the uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen on the line. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on the Clocked In podcast. So let's just kick it off right there. Tell us a little bit about your story and how you got into entrepreneurship. Oh, man. Um, I guess uh, growing up as a kid, not necessarily... Uh, didn't have the, the luxury of um, a privileged, you know, childhood. It was a little bit, uh, a little bit rough, uh, to say the least. You know, you're always thinking about, like, you know, what am I going to be when I grow up? And, you know, everybody's talking about education and get it going to college. And, you know, you're, you're probably just thinking, you know, you know what type of job am I, am I going to get, right? So the, the future... Uh, was a little bit uncertain, which I think a lot of people right now can kind of relate to, right? There was a uh, very uncertain feeling about where am I going? What am I doing? What am I going to be a part of? Who am I? Uh, many times, you know, all of all of those uh, opinions of yourself start in the family as a child, right? And um, when there's a little bit of a struggle that you're going through, through that uh, portion of your life, puts a lot of question marks on things. And like I said, I think people can really identify and relate to that right now. A lot of people don't even know if they're going back to school and are they going to have to wear a mask if they go you know, into a store. And it's just, it's a very, it's a time of uncertainty. Who's going to get elected president? And then what is that going to do to the economy? And, you know, it's just, there's a lot of questions. And when there's a lot of questions in your head, it's hard to plan, right? So growing up with uh, kind of uncertainty, the main thing that I knew that I needed to kind of sort out in my head is what's called independence. How do I become independent, self-sustained, you know, and all that kind of, in my mind, you know, related to if I have um, the right job or I have the right opportunity to generate enough cash to where I can pay for what it is that I want, 
even as a, as a kid, man, in sixth grade, I was uh, pick. I would actually skateboard to school, skateboard or bicycle to school, and I would stop by this candy shop called uh, Candy Kitchen, and I'd pick up these um, little. They were it was gum, but it had like a candy shell on it, and it was a nickel, and I would sell it for a quarter. Right, so I would fill my book bag with these these you know pieces. They were individually wrapped pieces of gum, and I'd go to school and I'd sell it for a quarter, which might even be my best business to this date. Right, Just buy it for a nickel, sell it for a quarter, and it's all cash. Right, yeah, uh, not not a bad scenario. But um, you know, my brain was always thinking, you know, how do I create some independence for myself? How do I have a little bit of control of my you know? My, my little world, my little realm, um, ended up kind of, you know, going a, a little bit further down the line in high school. Um, it was just, you know, I went to 13 different schools growing up, and it was just a little bit of a challenge. Every year, think about it, every year being the new kid, just it's a, it's a, it's draining. It's tough. You're always starting over. You're always trying to make new friends, figure out how you fit in, who you don't, who's trouble, who's going to, you know, rub off on you and you know, uh, make you better, or what sports do you want to get in? It's, there's just all these questions, right? Because you're kind of hitting the reset button button every year. And in 11th grade, um, my parents moved again at the end of 11th grade, and I just said, I'm not doing it. So I moved out in 11th grade from the standpoint of just kind of keeping my environment. You know, I built a few friends. I didn't want to change, and I just I moved in with one of my um, my uh, classmates, right? His parents unfortunately passed away in a car accident and he was left the house. So it's him and I out in LJ, Georgia, right? Out in the, the, the mountains, uh, going to Gilmer high school, which was just, uh, an interesting experience altogether anyway. But, um, it was, uh, the first point where it's like, okay, you're on your own. You have your little job, you have your little car, you're going back and forth to school had to quit sports just because I had to work, right? I had to have gas. I had to have food. Um, when I say I was on my own, I was 100% on my own, right? Like I was, if, if I needed gas, I was paying for it. If I needed, you know, oil in the car or what, you know, if I needed food, whatever it was, I had to make sure that I was kind of self-sufficient there at the end of 11th grade. I did follow through. I did graduate. I went through, um, you know, made the commitment to go all the way through high school when a lot of people would have just kind of, you know, took the easy way out, and I knew that it was important to uh, follow through to completion on that. But uh, get it—that—that's the weirdest moment, Jordan. Actually, think about this. Now you're in twelfth grade, high school's over. All these kids are still at home. You're out of the—you're out of the house for a year now. They're still at home with their families. They're all talking about going to college, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm not having that conversation. I'm thinking, where am I going to go get a job that actually makes decent money, right? Because I'm going to now really have rent in, in regular, you know, real people, you know, grown-up stuff. It was, it's called grown-up stuff. And um, it was the weird, I mean, I, I'll never forget the day that high school was over. It was like that whole world, everything that you thought was important, the girlfriend, the this, the that, the you know, the, the group of friends, everything you thought was important, gone. Yeah. In the sense of they all go off in their own direction. 
Everybody's life just hit reset. Now they're on a new path. It's college. It's, you know, whatever they chose to do, right? Um, so that was a weird experience for me that, again, made me feel like I was kind of starting over. And the thing that I knew that I had to do is I had to find where, where was it that I was going to be able to sink into and generate some revenue. At the time, uh, Home Depot was up and coming. I'm eight, you know, 18 years old at the time. It was up and coming. Uh, they started out of Atlanta, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, uh, Bernie and Arthur would still actually go around to the stores and meet with the people. The founders would meet with the people. Um, I started at uh, store 111 right there in Atlanta. And quite frankly, it was a great opportunity. You're talking back in 1995, the summer of 1995. You know, think about this. Summer of 1995, I think they started you out at like 15 or 16 bucks an hour. Not back bad. then, that Not was pretty bad. good. Yeah. Yeah. And they moved me to like 20 or 21 really fast. It, 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 it was, um, it was, I mean, you know, if you take the right steps. So um, it was a healthy experience to be able to get on your feet, to be able to be independent. Um, I was always about working hard, going to the gym, eating healthy, you know, having that, that, Home Depot job was um, a learning experience because their stock was exploding. I was buying stock. Every check, I was buying stock, right? So there was a, a plan that you could take advantage of to where it was, you know, you were able to uh, buy Home Depot stock and it was growing like crazy and it was splitting and tripling and it was just nuts. So um, I ended up kind of figuring out, like, that's cool, but I wanted to do something else. So I started. I started so many different types of businesses. I started a tile, you know, laying tile. So I've, I worked in the tile department. I started laying tile. Well, here's the funny part. In Atlanta, tile was like $7 a square foot to lay tile, right? Yeah. So think about this. You could lay a few hundred square feet in a day if you're really on it. So a decent-sized job might be 1,000 square feet. So you can crush 1,000 square feet in a week. That's seven thousand dollars, and usually more because there's little extras that need to take you know place. So in a week, you're making seven or eight thousand dollars. Big change. That change. Well, that changes the game, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. So once you start kind of getting a taste of what it felt like, even though that is hard work. I mean, that is hard work. It's heavy. It's dirty. It, depending on, it, it could be hot as it could be outside or it could be cold. I remember laying tile in the snow, right? Using the wet saw outside. It's freezing. And you're sitting here using this wet saw. Um, anyway, it's, it's, it paid good, but it was really, really tough work, right? So it got a little bit like, it got you a little bit of a taste of what it felt like to make some decent money and create even more independence for yourself. But you also sort of thinking, you know, how long can you actually do something like this? Maybe I need to hire somebody. So I went through that, uh, that phase of like this, how hard can I work and how much can I make? And um, I think that's just a very amateur way to, to start, right? Like that's kind of how we all start. We don't care, Jordan, about how hard we have to work initially because we're young and we've got the energy to do it. So we just, we, we want to figure out what am I capable of accomplishing, right? At a certain point though, in life, you start to want to sophisticate. You don't want to be that person 
selling the opportunity and fulfilling, you know, you want to start to build something that is a little more team oriented, something that, you know, begins to uh, allow you to build the business, not actually, not necessarily fulfill or do the work. Um, And, you know, my thing was, my family wasn't huge on education. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to break the mold. I didn't want to be a physical laborer, even though it seemed to be making good money. I wanted to sacrifice the short-term money for the long-term gain in the sense of, you know, no one, I don't even know if anybody in my family at that point had even graduated high school. I I mean, it was like everybody really just did not respect the education component of life in the sense of, you know, that's the way to wealth. So I stopped and put myself through a technical college where you were getting, you know, certifications for Microsoft, Cisco, Hewlett Packard, Adobe, like you're, you're really kind of, and it was weird. Was remember when um, Y2K was? Yeah. There's like, you know, everything was going to end. The world was going to end. Everything was going to go black overnight. You know, the clock was going to tip over and, you know, it was just going to be like, okay, nothing works anymore. That was the big, the big fear, the big scare, right? Yeah. You remember that? How old are you? Yeah, yeah. I was young, so I had to be. Yeah. I, I've I've learned about it, but I'm 24 now, so I was probably five years old. Yeah. Yeah, man, it was like everything is going to literally stop as we clicked over, just because of the you know the the clock. So um, the certifications that I were I was getting the systems engineer through Microsoft and. You know, all, all the Cisco stuff, it was all geared around what that new phase of technology was going to be, right? How the, the new networks were going to operate, how the new servers were going to operate. So it was all a certain way up until Y2K, and then it was supposed to all click over and be on the new platforms, if you will, going forward. So my education was that I put myself through was irrelevant to all the new stuff that was going to happen at and going forward from Y2K on, right? So it was really interesting timing. You're talking about somebody who was very hands-on, very, you know, a hard worker, never really used a computer ever, right? Ever, right? Like, that's a big deal. I, I didn't even know how to type. I just walked into class and said, what did I get myself into? But I'm going to do this. And the funny part was is, Jordan, everybody had to take the same certification exams to get all the new certifications because everything was changing so drastically. Everybody had to hit the reset button right down to the instructors, managers, leaders, everybody, right? So this was one of those things where it wasn't just because you were the student. Even if you had an existing job, the companies were sending people back for the continuing education and recertification. So this was like... The entire playing field was yeah, being very reset. Yeah, ahead of its time. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So, and I just happened to fall in to this, um, and it was like a thirty-six month program. I finished it in about twenty-four months, about about two years, right? All my tests done, all certifications. Um, not, I didn't. Fa- I didn't fail once. So every time you take a test, it's anywhere between. Back then, it was like three fifty to almost twelve hundred dollars a test, depending on what what vendor it was, right? So if you failed, you get to t- you get to pay take it again and pay again, yeah. right? I didn't want to fail, 
I didn't want to pay again, so I made sure I passed it the first time. Um, actually, I ended up passing my test before my instructors did. I had instructors coming to me going, hey, what's on the exam? That was a weird feeling. So the kid that came in that's never, that couldn't even type is now explaining to the teacher what's on the exam because he hadn't taken it yet. That's kind of weird, right? Very bizarre. But yeah. how do you think this all came from if you're, since you didn't have, a lot of people view mom, dad as a mentor and a guidance, but what you're saying here is that you were kind of on your own and you were doing it yourself. What, what do you think pushed you to do that? Well, I mean, it's, everybody has that mechanism inside of them, which works for the good and it works for the bad. It's called the survival mechanism, right? So, and I don't think people push themselves to the limit of what they're truly capable of accomplishing. You know, if anybody is listening on the call today, first off, you as a human being are extremely resilient and you are capable of achieving pretty much anything you set your mind to. And I know a lot of people say that, but until the pressure's on, you don't really realize that, right? So what I think is, you know, putting somebody in a position based on the person and they just have to perform, right? Like it's just do or die, right? Um, that That's cool because it helps you to accomplish more than you thought you could. But what the, 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 the challenge is, and this is my challenge even to today, it locks you into survival mode even when you're not really now in survival mode. Like you don't need to be. So, you know, you come out of this going, all right, we've created some success. We've achieved some things. And you don't necessarily have to act like you're in survival mode anymore. It might need to be a little more strategic in the sense of collaborative or in the sense of, you know, your network. It's not all about you and how hard you can work, but it might be about your team and, you know, like I said, your network and your strategic relationships and your mentors and things like that. So um, people can achieve far more than, for the most part, than they do. They just, they only respond to two things. They respond to pain or pleasure, right? And they respond to pain more than they do pleasure. People will seek to avoid pain and work harder to avoid pain than they will to gain pleasure. Did you know that? I, yeah, I've heard that. Um, Tony Robbins speaks a lot about that. And it's just a brilliant quote because if you sit there and you think, oh my God, I'm not going to start this podcast, for example, because, oh my God, what if no one listens? That's the pain. But you don't think about the pleasure of, now I got to speak to Michael Calhoun. You know what I mean? It, a lot of people are stuck in this fear state and it doesn't allow them to really spread their wings as you're speaking about. Yeah. Yeah, and fear's not all bad. I mean, it's, it's something that motivates people to act, right? Um, and, you know, action is really where we want to find ourselves. We're, we're built as human beings to be creators. We are built to act. We are built to perform, collaborate, network. Um, you know, we are not built to just sit around and do nothing, right? Uh, what is that saying? Idle mind is a devil's workshop, right? Meaning... Yeah. You know, it's just, it's probably going to lead to no good. And I think one of the um, def just default uh, benefits to being so active and in that survival mode for so long is you're, you're always pushing forward and there's not really a whole lot of time to goof off and get yourself in trouble. You know what I mean? For sure. I 100% so, agree with that. Yeah. I, um, 
put myself through school for tech. Uh, I'll never forget that. That was just, it was the weirdest. Matter of fact, I had a newborn baby. I was working full time and going to school full time. So school started at eight o'clock. I would get out at two thirty. Then I would work from four to one. Then I would drive home and start it all over again. Oh wow! Yeah, dude, that's commitment. Yeah. That's commitment. Then on the weekends. I would literally go to the coffee shop, probably drink more coffee than any human being ever should, and I would rip through books. This, I mean, just huge. And it's not like reading a story. Hyper-technical books, right? Yeah. Every weekend, from as early as I could get there until they would kick me out at night, it was just a grind. 24 months straight doing this. And- Brutal. Yeah, I could imagine. And where do you think this focus came from? Did you just want more in life, or where do you think it came? Well, from? I mean, think about this. You know, you're a kid and you're growing up, like you know, patching your shoes together with goop. You know what goop is? No, I don't. Goop is like uh, it's like you know when you get a hole in the bottom of your shoe, you put a little goop on it, and it patches the hole. Okay, but, but all your buddies are running around with new shoes. You know, you got the new Nikes, and you got you're thinking, why can't I have it? And this is this. It's just one of those things where, as a young male, you want to, you know, what is it like? What is it like, right? So I think um, growing up, there's that uh, inner that inner drive that says, you know what, I'm tired of being like. The guy at the bottom of the barrel with, you know, there's a humble, there's a humbling aspect to it. I think that teaches you a very important lesson. But as that kid, when you see all your friends enjoying a certain thing or, or in a sense, lifestyle, you just think, man, I want to be rich. You know, you're thinking as a kid in your head, you're like, that's it. When I grow up, I'm going to be rich. Um, Rich, being rich isn't everything. Being rich actually can be very, very harmful. Um, but if not, if you don't respect the relationship with the money, right? Yeah. Um, but the the desire as a young kid that wants to achieve and, and just doesn't want to be in that hole anymore, right? Like you yeah. want to see what you're capable I think that's really all it is, is you want to see what you're capable of. And you know you're capable. You just want to see what you can do. And there's that drive that, you know, is spark, you know, from inside. And I think a lot of people have that fire in the belly. And I think a lot of people have it, but potentially life is too soft or cushy that it doesn't, that fire doesn't really get ignited in the way that it could or should, right? I mean, think about it. Everything starts at the home. Would you agree? Yeah. Realistically, that's. Guess what? That's where it starts. And everybody is different and they respond to environments differently. But if the, we have the right structure at home, then it fosters the right actions and it kind of shapes and molds that person into being a productive, you know, addition to society. I think, um, you know, from my perspective or my experience, I just wanted to be a productive addition to something. I want to make something better. And really what that ties back to is, think about this. Every single 
time an entrepreneur creates a business, they're creating, for the most part, especially when they have no money to start it, it's 99 times out of 100 a service. They're performing something for somebody else. They're doing something for somebody else, right? That's usually, I mean, if there's no real money to fund it, you're going to do something for somebody else, and they're going to give you value back. They're going to give you money in exchange for your effort, right? Yeah. So all of this really comes down to service, Jordan. How are you serving other people? Are you delivering? Are you over-delivering? Are you creating a friend or a fan in that relationship with that customer, with that prospect? Are they going to then want to refer you? Every business I ever started, Jordan, I did the first one for free. The first meeting or the first encounter? First whatever. My tile business, I did the first one for free. I said, let me just do this for free. Then I have a customer. Even though I did it for free, I have a customer that I can send people that says, this guy did an amazing job. All the corners, all of this, all of that. He did, a, he did an amazing job, and he made sure everything was perfectly clean, didn't damage anything, was on time. He can tell them everything that they need to hear so that I'm now the person that that prospect wants to hire, right? So I think you know there's a very service, service and servant attitude that we have to have regardless of what we're doing doesn't now nowadays right so we go fast forward through i mean i have stories dude i have so many stories it's crazy i don't know where you want to go in this conversation but you know fast forward into dealing with uh, hundreds of real estate transactions you know um deals with uh big SaaS companies um deals with uh, we were premium partners with adobe um just uh Huge property management platforms, uh, just lots and lot. Oh, we, we we've done uh, we've worked with thousands of businesses across U.S. and Australia on a business automation and customer experience platform. Uh, just lots and lots of experience. But what it still comes back to is how are from a from a ownership, founder, CEO, leadership standpoint, how are we serving the customer? How are we serving the team? Think about it. My job now is to empower my team to serve my members, right? And to make the members better. I'm still serving the members. Yeah. So whether think, it's, go ahead. Yeah, that's a great point that Mike just brought up there in regards to the fact that no matter what business it is, it can be large, small, super large, it's all about service and they're all the same. And no matter the complexity, there's still the same idea of service behind it. So I think that's a great point, Mike. Well, there's a couple things. First off, you have to connect, right? As human beings, what are we doing? We're connecting. We're connecting for some sort of purpose, some sort of exchange, whether it's conversation. Right now, you and I have connected to have a conversation. Do you know where relationships live? In conversation. Inside conversations. That's where a relationship lives, right? No conversation, no relationship. If you can't build a relationship with a prospect, they're not going to trust you and they're not going to buy from you. And then you're not going to have that opportunity to serve them there. So you have uh, a few different ways to serve, right? Somebody and then say a business relationship. You have products, you have services, 
and you have platforms, right? So whether they're buying this, this baseball bat mug, right? This guy right here, he's a member of Board of Advisors named Chris Dennert. And he and his partner, create, basically, they were cutting these baseball bat mugs off at the sink. They wallered out the center. And now they put all kinds of professional uh, logos on them with, for MLB and, it, you know, like whatever major league team is your favorite. And, you know, they're, I don't know, they're going to do like $12 million this year, right? So this is a product that went literally in three years from nothing until like a $12 million per year company. That's crazy. 10 or 12, I can't remember the exact number, but that's a product. If you were coaching me, Jordan, that would be a service, right? Yeah. I would, I, you would be helping me become better with your service, which now there's a little bit of a weird thing with that business model. You're actually trading time for dollars in the sense of now you're serving me transferring knowledge and experience and, you know, the, uh, the curriculum, if you will. But that's a service. This is a product. This is totally scalable, isn't it? If you yeah. sold 100,000 of these or 1,000, really it's all about buying power, manufacturing, marketing, advertising, design, all that stuff, right? So there's some pros and cons to the models. Sometimes products are more, more scalable. Sometimes services are more resource intensive. Then you have platforms. What is a platform? Well, you have Facebook, that's a platform, right? You have TikTok, that's a platform. You have all these different platforms where it's about getting people on the platform for a certain purpose, whether it be you know, marketing your short-term rental property or whether it be a social media platform or whether it be a project management platform. But there's certain types of platforms out there that they're really services. They're software as a service, right? Now, if you look at board of advisors, it's a little bit, which is the, uh, this is my primary focus at the time, <clears throat> board of advisors is a platform that we put all of these entrepreneurs on, right? But, it, like, think about this. It's a network, but it's also a platform for engagement. It's a real-world platform, meaning we bring them together in a physical environment to get them together so that we can find synergies to help them become better owners, better CEOs, and more profitable together, right? Like what are the yeah. business synergies where we can grow this thing together, right? And I mean like for real. This isn't like, hey, let's just sit around and talk about, you know, uh, you know, pie in the sky stuff. This is like how are we going to grow our business or double it or triple it in X time frame? Right. Yeah, and right. this is a really interesting uh, concept that Mike utilized uh, of a mastermind where they bring in very specific people to join their group, and the group uses the resources of each other. And through that, like Mike was just saying, they'll do deals. And maybe you want to give a couple examples of how that works? Oh, absolutely. So um, think about this. You... And, and for startups, capital is a big deal, right? Everybody, when they're starting something up, they want to try to raise capital, depending on how, depending on the business model. But you have a, you have a successful individual come into BA. Uh, they have their existing business, but they have a lot of profit, and they want to redeploy that cash somewhere. So there is deal flow in the room to where people could start another business together. They, they do start businesses. Matter of fact, this is one of them. 
Um, they can fund or buy into, invest into, where they're not necessarily working, but they can deploy their capital to help that founder grow their business together. Um, there is a, uh, oh, you wanted an example of potentially which uh, individuals how, came together. How the mastermind comes together and how they utilize how we can, where, where the actual, where the value of the mastermind comes from, from the person wanting to join. Got it. Say it was to join your mastermind. What, what value is it? Yeah. So think about this. Let's go back to 1993, right? Okay. The gentleman that, remember I told you, I moved in with him when his parents died. Yeah. Remember? He's actually part of Board of Advisors. Oh. Okay. So John Cristodoro is part of Board of Advisors. He came to the very first meeting. Okay. He met with Diaphilus. They started doing some business together. They've now partnered and run a multi-million dollar tax resolution company. That's just one of their businesses. But they've come together and generated lots of success together, right? Out of that actual mastermind engagement, okay? Now, John has his previous business, but the new business dwarfed. I have so much relationship equity. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. I have so much relationship equity with John. Say you come into board of advisors and it's your first time. And you say, Mike, I have this problem or this desire or this need. And whatever that is, say John is the one that is the perfect fit to help you with that. If I were to say, John, we have Jordan here. He's first time at BA, really like him. And here's what he brings to the table, but here's what he also needs help with. Can you do X, Y, and Z? Now, what do you think the likelihood is John's going to stop his world and help you, even though he has no clue, no relationship with you, he's going to ask, or he's going to do whatever we ask him to do, right? Because we have what is called relationship equity. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. He's good. You, yeah, yeah, and that's something you can't just pull off with the guy walking down the street or going to a networking meeting, right? So you think about this. Now let's take any business owner, any business owner, pick pick a model. What type of business? We'll do the podcast business. Podcast business, boom. Um, so you're starting a podcast business, right? Yeah. You come into Board of Advisors and I say, okay, Tracy Hazard. Tracy Hazard's doing $120 million roll-up right now of podcasts because she understands the business. She understands the platform. She understands the community. She understands the audiences. She knows everybody in it. Tracy is amazing. Tracy Lee Hazard. She's amazing. And she's been in BA for, uh, for a year now. And all we've done is work our butt off to amaze and wow Tracy because she said, Mike, here's what I need. And we helped her get with all of those right individuals. So you're now new to podcasts and I put you with Tracy. Guess what Tracy's going to do? Tracy's going to help you with whatever you need. Why? Because I've already helped Tracy with everything she needed. So what it is, is it's a community where we're investing in each other constantly. 
so that when somebody new or even that's you know a veteran in the group needs something, we all have that common spirit of contribution to each other, right? So yeah. Tracy's benefited potentially so much then from BA to help you is or whatever it is you need to help get this thing off the ground, whether it's direction, whether it's connection, whatever it is, right? She's going to gladly help Jordan with his brand new or his up-and-coming podcast. Uh, it, it's, it's one of those things where we're accelerating success because we have existing momentum with all these different relationships and all these different businesses and these industries, Right. Think about this. Pick another. Pick another business. Real estate. That's pretty broad. So there's so many aspects of real estate. You have wholesale. You have. Uh, matter of fact, I just got off with uh, Nick Fulmer. He does overages. I have somebody. Whether it's commercial, whether it's property management, whether it's franchises in real estate, whether it's uh, brokerages like EXP, it doesn't matter. What do you like? My my question to you would be: What type of real estate are you doing? And what do you need help with, right? Because I probably have that person that can totally help you accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Right? Like pick another industry. Um, let's do, we could do um, like selling furniture. Selling furniture. What's your problem with selling furniture? Uh, I don't have enough space. I have too many, ca- like I'm selling couches and I don't have all the space for it. Okay, beautiful. Fulfillment.com, right? You're talking about fulfillment centers. Yeah. And logistics. So I would hook you up with Justin Singletary from fulfillment.com. He would be able to advise you on, uh, and maybe even even another uh, gentleman, um, uh, happy gig. But um, let's go back to Justin. So Justin would be able to help you with how are you warehousing it? How are you buying it? Matter of fact, even Zonlux might even have a little bit of uh, input there on how do we buy this the right way? Where do we warehouse it? And how do we distribute it? Is it something that could even be done from a drop shipping scenario where the manufacturer is actually housing it and then it's being drop shipped per order? Or do you need to bring it in-house into your warehouse because of the buying power, right? Like you have the ability to get it so much cheaper. If you're going to take it off their hands, then you're going to warehouse it, then you're going to sell it. So we have to look at the model before we really understand who's maybe the right relationship. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make sure you speak with the absolute expert, like a Justin Singletary, that gets the logistics of warehousing, gets the logistics of shipping, really understands based on your market, is it domestic, is it international, you know, where is your customer and how are we delivering this thing to your customer, right? So it's, uh, it, like I said, Board of Advisors is extremely diverse. I think it's so diverse really because my previous business, uh, which we still have today, I call it my previous business because this is really now my focus, but it is, we served every different type of business model all across U.S. and Australia, thousands across U.S. and Australia, uh, and it just helped us develop initially these relationships with these business owners that they were starting businesses or they were redefining, they were deciding to go online or create an e-commerce division of their actual product, of their supplement. Maybe it was a protein powder. It doesn't even matter. Pick another one. Um, we could sell fruit. I don't know. Fruit? Yeah. Why would you want to sell fruit? It goes bad. 
Probably not number the best. One, what number one rule in business? Don't sell food. It goes bad. No, uh, that's what I have learned, actually. The restaurant business is a tough business, whether it be fruit or food. The restaurant business is a tough business because, and even nowadays, it's, oh, my gosh, I just feel so bad. Um, you know, one of the ones that's doing really well is Chick-fil-A because they've postured so well to cater to their drive throughs right? Yeah. Um, and But just, just in general, I think the thing that I learned with dealing with all these different businesses is, Man, the restaurant business is tough because you've got to time everything just right. Think about this in the sense of what you're buying, what you're holding, what you're you know keeping on hand, and then it all has to be stored right. It all has to be prepared properly all the way down to them putting it in their mouth and loving it or it's coming back to the kitchen, right? Tough business, service-based business combined with the food-based business, you know, you have the servers, you know, it's a it's a make the customer happy scenario if it's a dine-in. Uh, tough business, and quite frankly, very very few really do it right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's, it's one that if somebody came to me with a concept, it, it would probably be one of the hardest models to really approve and say that's something that we definitely want to put some resources and money behind. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying that is a really tough industry and it just got tougher. Definitely. It was coronavirus. Now, yeah. I wanted to ask you, with your board of advisors, you have very exclusive with your members. How does someone, how do you vet someone, first of all? And then how do you, yeah, that's basically it. How do you vet someone and decide if they're- Well, right the first thing is, um, do they have the right mindset? Are they coming to board of advisors to just get something or are they coming to contribute and give to the other members, right? So if, if somebody's coming in the door to do a couple things, it starts to make sense. If they're coming first off with the mindset of collaboration and contribution, meaning I want to be part of this organization. I want to learn who the people are. I want to learn how I can contribute to them. We call it, what do you bring to the table, Right. So what, like Jordan, you would say, Mike, I'm going to come in and I'm going to make sure that I bring this aspect to the table. So think about like Thanksgiving dinner. You're coming over. What You're not going to come empty-handed, are you? No. No. So you're going to bring the green bean casserole that literally is so amazing that everybody wants more. And they didn't even know they liked green bean casserole until they had your green bean casserole, and now they can't get enough, right? Yeah. So first off, I'm looking for what is that thing that makes BA better in the sense of you're so competent in something, even if it isn't necessarily the flashy new object, it could just be green bean casserole, and you're the best, right? So I'm looking for the kind of that contribution into the organization from a competency standpoint in your industry but you've got to have the mindset of I'm coming to this table to have a collaborative conversation so that I can make them better and they can make me better. And then I'm going to leave my ego at the door. This is not about how much money you made or I made last year. What it's about is what are we trying to achieve together? You know, a big, a big thing that we say is we're, we're better together, period, right? If, I, if you're running this podcast right here, 
Do you think you could have a conversation with Tracy Lee Hazard, like we talked about before, and not be better after that conversation? She's going to help me 100%. Oh, totally. Right? And then if you said, hey, Tracy, I just joined BA, and I'd like to spend some time with you. And she says, well, I don't really have a lot of time, but since you are in BA, I'm going to make some time. Yeah. Right? Do you see how that starts to play out? So there's people there that you can get help from, but then there's somebody else in the group she's going to want help from, and it all just starts to feed off of each other, right? So the mindset of collaboration and contribution is where we start. Then are you at the experience level to really, like, if Tracy were to give you some direction, give you some connections, you know, invest some time with you. Are you going to have the resources, the time, you know, to be able to invest in that and run with that so that when you come back to the next meeting or we're on another call together that you've demonstrated she invested her time with you and it was worthy of her time to do that because you're implementing and you have the resources and you have the team and like There's a certain level there. It's not always about the money. It's really about the ability to perform. So, you know, mindset is one thing. The ability to perform is another thing. Um, Our core values, you know, it starts with integrity. We say we're going to do something, right? We want to make sure that we're doing it. That's our commitment. But do we have a track record of integrity or do we do the right thing when it's convenient to do the right thing? I can't have that type of person in my organization. Then I can't turn my back. If, if, if I'm helping this person or my team's helping this person and we just put a deal together over here that makes a lot of sense, but you're not going to act with integrity, I can't turn my back on the scenario. I can't have you in the group, right? Yeah. But you, we've got to have integrity. We have to have a commitment to follow through to completion. What if Tracy started having a conversation with you and for some reason, you know, there was a big call and she just kind of left you hanging? That's not cool. Not at all. Follow through to completion, right? Absolutely. Um Focus. If you're going to be all over the place and, and we're going to be investing in you and you're going to be investing in being at BA, right? 25K per year to be at BA, to be in our network, on our platform, in the organization, and my team dedicated to you, right? Like, yes, you're investing, but we're investing a lot more back into you. And if you're not focused, it's not going to get the result. Then it doesn't work for any of us. No, right? I want to. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I want to touch on the point that you just brought up. Focus is super important. Now, you're doing a lot of things. You're on a ton of calls. You're facilitating member introductions, member relationship, member deals. Mm-hmm. How do you stay focused on what you need to at each point? How do you prepare? Is there any tips or strategies you have? Well, you got to think about it. It's not necessarily that I'm doing anything different. I'm staying in my lane of communication and conversations, right? Because where do relationships live? Inside conversations. So I'm in communications and conversations with my people and getting them with the right other people. So I'm not there to fulfill that thing necessarily or, or fix their problem. My job is to get them with somebody that is the right fit or synergy with them in BA, right? So uh, they didn't leave those screens. I was going to show you a bunch of notes that I just took from the previous call, but um, it's I'm not all over the place because I'm doing what I'm doing best, and that's making sure we correct we identify the right synergies, 
right, with each member and get them connected together. That way we pass them over. It's like a football pass. We say, hey, you know, Jason, you should meet with Trey because, Jason, you like to invest, uh, you know, out of your retirement account in this type of deal. And Trey has a fund that does a lot of those type of deals. So let's see what that looks like. Let's get you guys to have a conversation because this may be something that makes a lot of sense for both of you, right? Yeah. So identifying the synergies, then making the connection. Or, hey, uh, RAN has a new technology that is built for staffing companies and allows the employees to get their paycheck every day if they wanted to. And, you know, we have Jimmy over here and we have Carrie over here and we have Jonathan over here that have staffing companies. Let's get RAN with these staffing companies and let uh, implement the technology because it's already integrated through paychecks and ADP and so forth. All they have to do is say yes and turn it on and it becomes an employee benefit, right? And it benefits also the ownership on one side, RAN on the other side, and right down to the actual convenience factor for the employee. So looking at all the different things to make sure that it, I mean, really it's kind of like an entrepreneurial chemist, right? We're just seeing where it all uh, makes sense for people to have a conversation. And, you know, obviously we don't want to put calls on calendars that are a waste of time for people, but um, we, we definitely put a lot of effort into profiling all of our members Right on our platform, boardofadvisors.com, we have our own technology platform we've built since day one that profiles our members, categorizes them. You know, we know what they're looking for, what they bring to the table, how we can help them most. Um, there is a uh, there's a data play there that helps us make better decisions. It's not just coming out of our head. Awesome, the the platform sounds phenomenal and. How do you think uh, Board of Advisors distinguishes itself from all the other masterminds? Well, first and foremost, we are about the most diverse group out there when it comes to uh, a true mastermind organization. So we're not all real estate. We're not all marketers. We are extremely diverse. We have just about everything you can possibly imagine. And then, you know, every once in a while when something pops up and we don't have it, it just makes us want to go find the right person in that industry to invite in to their first meeting. So um, the big thing that I think makes us different us different is our diversity um, in industry, function, experience, age. I mean, right down to, uh, you know, I, I think my youngest member was 23 and my oldest member's uh, geez, 77. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, it's diverse, right? Um, and when I say diverse, I'm mostly speaking not just about the individuals, but the, the different types of business models as well, right? So that initially is tough because they're trying to find synergies. But when you then have critical mass, it creates tons of options and leverage so that it doesn't matter who enters the room, we can help them. And how'd you create, so you start, you get this idea, you want to do board of advisors, and you come up, I want this mastermind. And I know a lot well, of people- I didn't really, I didn't really say I want this mastermind. Um, one of my customers in my other business was saying, you should really look. He, was, he runs a top real estate uh, mastermind in the country uh, for real estate investors doing over 50 deals a year. And he was saying, listen, you, know, you are great with your customers. We built out his back end, his member area. And he says, listen, 
you should really look at my model that I'm doing with my real estate investors for your entrepreneurs because it makes a lot of sense and you're going to help them do bigger and better deals together and you're going to identify synergies that they would have never been able to do if it wasn't for you putting them on a platform, right? So it was really Jason encouraging me for at least a year, year and a half. Um, I mean, I joined a mastermind a long time ago and it was really not that amazing. Um, so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have that, hey, let me start a mastermind. That was not my approach. I was highly encouraged to do it because Jason really felt like I would be great at it because he knew me, how we operated, what our focus, how we, you know, over delivered. He says, I think you would be really good at this. And then that crossed with my itch to do something different. So I said, eh, you know what, maybe I'll take a look at this. Then once you start looking at a domain name, you know, you start coming, you know how we all do. We all, entrepreneurs probably have hundreds of domain names. If you don't, if you don't have a bunch of domain names, I don't know if you're a real entrepreneur, right? Like that's what we do first. We start buying domain names for some weird reason. But uh, I uh, worked with Mike Mann, which was one of the top domain arbitrage guys who owned boardofadvisors.com and uh, negotiated that with him. He supported me on the vision, made me a great deal. And once you uh, do a transaction of that size, then you start thinking, okay, so what am I going to do with this thing? Yeah, so you come up with that, and uh, the story was actually really impressive because I heard it on another podcast with you and Mike Mann and how you kind of brought him in, and it, it was an interesting story. Um, but that's for another time. So you got the domain name. You're ready to start Board of Advisors. How do you take that step of, okay, we have one member. He's a real estate guy. We got one member. He's in technology sales. How do you bring them all in to get a big ecosystem that you have now? Well, again, we, so me being a software guy, ironically enough, the guy that couldn't type, I, you know, what's funny is I still can't actually type like, like, right. Like the way people actually yeah, type with the 10 fingers. Yeah. Formally, right. I still don't do that. Three software companies later, I still don't type. And then silly. But uh, starting Board of Advisors, we said, let's create a platform to profile everybody out. So just it, the more we know about our members, the better we can connect them, right? And what I knew was organization. So anytime that you're organized and you're detail-oriented, you're able to identify things that others aren't going to be able to identify. So I knew that if we started small, highly organized, highly detailed, and extremely purpose-driven, that... It, it would work. Yeah. But what I'm, what I'm saying is, so you build out the platform, you, you have the domain name. How did you get each of them? Did you just reach out to close? Oh, uh, that, that actually was very, uh, that was interesting. That was a hand selected Herculean effort through our previous customers, previous relationships, previous mentors, Individuals that um, we had just built great relationships with in the past that we invited to the first meeting. And you did the first meeting free? As you did? Actually, I did the first meeting. Um, some individuals were so last minute, I just said, listen, just get there, right? Yeah. Some individuals were already bought in where like, 
Larry Dodlin, those guys uh, from Boomer Boost, they, they, in a sense, were investing in me, right? You know, Diafla Sample, he was in his um, company and his wife were investing. They knew me. They trusted me. They were in early. Some of the people I had to get, let them put their toe in the water, right? So it was um, a scenario where the people that you found that really had previous experience with you, they were already bought in and they were sold on the sense of doing what, you know, as we laid out the vision, they were uh, adopting. Some of the people had no idea even what a mastermind was. They were like, uh, I'll, Mike, I'll come because I look forward to seeing you. They weren't even sure really what it was about. Then once they got there, they were like, okay, this is cool. I dig it. I love that. Yeah, I actually, um, when COVID hit, I started uh, a group where we'd meet every Thursday. It was a wide, diverse group of people and all different um, lines of work. And it's very similar to what you're doing, but at a much, you're doing it at a much bigger Beautiful. scale. But people love the conversations. Yeah. Because you're so stuck in your rut. Oh, this is a real estate guy. You see that deal? You see that deal? You don't think about the insurance guy or the mortgage guy who are helping you refinance all these. And- oh, there's so many moving parts of so many different businesses. It's crazy. Uh, matter of fact, speaking of real estate guy, I have a gentleman, uh, Stephen Smeek. He's an awesome, uh, uh, he does the mortgages for like uh, big uh, commercial deals. Uh, they have a new technology. I think he wants to demonstrate it to me, bring me up to speed here on what they've created so that, again, we can be a better advocate. We can make the right introductions. We can get them with the right people. Uh, that's really, it's about understanding your people. The more you understand and the more you know, the better you can be their advocate. But yeah, I think uh, I've got to drop to that call. I've got to jump off this call, jump on that call. And like you said, you called it earlier. I mean, it's I'm in a certain vein working with my people, working with my members, making sure that the team is addressing our action steps on getting these calls on the calendar, making sure that we're putting the right synergies together with the right people for the right purpose. I hate putting people on a call that is not worthy of their time. We really try to bat a 1,000 when it comes to you know, making the connection, creating the conversation. And then at a certain point, we get out of the way because they're the pros. They do what they do best. Yeah. Mike, this has been awesome. I, I've really enjoyed hearing your story and learning more about board of advisors. And yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. Thank you, Jordan. It was a pleasure. Uh, you know, you and I have a, I think we have a knack for just going back and forth and back and forth. We could probably be on this call all day long, but uh, I really enjoyed syncing up with you. And uh, I thank Jeremy for setting this up for us. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast. For that, we'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards Consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast. For that, we'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards Consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in.